and welcome to the Allies of Convenience podcast, the only competitive 40k podcast which covers the entire world. I am your host, Alex Ray, and I'm joined by Matt Robertson. This week we have a special episode for you, focusing on what is now one of the biggest events in the competitive 40k calendar, LVO, the Las Vegas Open. We have got exclusive interviews with the champion, Sean Lichtershame Naden, and Nick Nanavati, so I hope you enjoy. Thanks to everyone who's asked questions on the Facebook page. Get involved. We love your feedback. Facebook.com forward slash AOC podcast or alternatively, just search for Allies of Convenience will come up. Thank you so much to everyone who subscribed already through iTunes or your own uh, podcasting app that you use. Please do leave us a review. If you can leave us a positive review, it really helps. We're trying to get out there. Make sure you recommend us to friends as well. We'd really appreciate that. If you want any help or advice on Competitive 40k, you can get involved. Come and ask us a question. Either send us a message directly and someone from the team will get back to you or just leave a question on the wall on the podcast page on Facebook and we'll try our best to address that as soon as possible. But without any further ado, let's get into this, our LVO recap special. Welcome, this is another special episode of Allies of Convenience, uh, the Las Vegas Open Special, uh, where we look back at one of the biggest events in the North American competitive 40k calendar. Uh, Myself and Matt Robertson are here with you tonight. Hello, Matt. Hello. Um, Due to Matt's celebrity international superstar status, uh, he manages to secure us the biggest and the best interviews, and we are speaking to tonight no other than Mr. Lick to Shame, Sean Nadem himself. Hello. Hello. Good to and be back. we also have Nick Brown Nanovati. Hello. Hola. As we round up uh, for you guys, uh, one of the most important competitive events of the calendar, as I said. Um, but now let's uh, let's get into the uh, the history of the event a little bit. Can you guys, uh, Sean and Nick, tell us a little bit about um, sort of the history of the LVO? You know how long you've been attending, and you know sort of like what it means to the the American circuit. Sure. Um, so I guess I'll start the uh, LVO. I believe this is its second year. Um, last year was its first, and it was kind of like. A big event because it was in Vegas and it was held by Reese and Frontline Gaming, which is a pretty big member of the community. But since it was the first event, not too many people went, only like 100, I believe. Um, uh, they, it took off really well. 250, Nick. 250 in this first year. Yeah. Oh, wow. They're, Never mind. Like, that's uh, but it I took think. off really well and it got a lot of <laughs> followers. So this year it had like 290 signups or something. Um, and this year it was one of the biggest, probably the biggest event in America for Warhammer. It will be. Uh, I believe this was Sean's first year attending. It was definitely my first year. And it was good. I'm going to be back. 
I mean, how much yeah. of a difference does it make to get to play toy soldiers in Vegas as opposed to like in the middle of nowhere in a hotel conference center? It was a big difference. Yeah. Oh. Um, so me and my me and my buddies went down a day early so we could just check out Vegas for a bit of time before we uh, like play. But even when you're not playing games, which you are doing for most of the day, you're still you have all night to go out. And you're instead of going out to like some local restaurant to just eat dinner and then go to bed, you you have Vegas. You do whatever you want. The whole world is your oyster. Uh, so it was really nice. Um, my wife actually came out to a business conference, and so then like halfway through the event, um, I'm able to hang out with her, either go to a nice dinner, or, you know, we'd then like afterwards meet up with people at the bar and stuff like that. So there's just so much available. And it's so close to the airport. Like, it was a really big, very convenient place. Yeah, being, being within, like, 10 minutes of the airport was pretty amazing. And as you were saying about, you know, the, the convenience about bringing partners, there's so much more stuff to do. I mean, I'm sure no one's wife or girlfriend's going to complain about, you know, being let loose in the Las Vegas area for, like, three days. You know, it's not like wandering around the middle of, like, Washington or Philly or something like that, you know? It, it's, it's pretty cool for them. It must be. Yeah, and the weather was nice. It was, it was good. Cool. Yeah, coming from the northeast, both and I are used to like three feet of snow on the ground. So when we got to Vegas, we got to walk around in shorts. It's pretty great. I just came from uh, New York a week ago, and it was like minus eight. So yeah, yeah, that would have been, been cool. It's absurd up here. Yeah. Um, so let's get onto the the actual event itself. Um, what's the format of LVO? Like, do they have um, their a mix own... of? Uh... Yeah, they, they run most of the West Coast events, BAO, stuff like that. They run their own missions, and they, they have this, something called, like, the ITC tur- circuit, where that it's expanding from, like, I think it was 20 different events last year spread across mostly the West and towards the Midwest. And I think this year, I think it's some, something close to, like, 40 events, and they tend to run the same format, the same missions, and it's a mix of uh, Eternal War plus Maelstrom, like, limited, limited Maelstrom, so... Uh, kind of like the ETC, but not as not instead of like twenty maelstrom, it's usually like six. And instead of like keeping them until you earn them, it's every turn you're rolling new new maelstroms. So there's a little bit of lottery type effect to that. How did that sort of random element really affect your gameplay? Um, it affects it a little bit because if you keep rolling bad maelstroms and your opponent keeps rolling like, oh, I rolled two objectives that I'm already sitting on, and you're like, I got the keep nine units out of my zone type one some of them were harder than others and that element yeah. would be frustrating the, um, the big thing uh, was uh, it doesn't matter like in etc their missions if you have, if you're competitive with maelstrom with your opponent but you end up losing by one or two it's still a close game and you have other ways to make it back with objectives and kill points uh in lvo's format if you lost maelstrom by even just one point you might as well have lost by 50 like there's no you just win maelstrom or you lose maelstrom so it's very look look based a little bit on that, yeah, more so than normal. Uh, were they were they modifying the maelstrom at all, or were they just playing it off the cards? Uh, no, I mean it was, it was heavily modified. So, for example, like um, in the kill point mission, there would still be like four objectives on the board or something like that, or like three, I think. So maybe number one, two, three. So on the maelstrom was six things, and you would roll two dice, and you couldn't get the same one. So for that particular mission. One, two, three would be hold objective one, hold objective two, hold objective three. And then I think there would be a line breaker one and then uh, keep people out of your line breaker one plus 
something else. Like destroy and then, enemy units and things. Yeah, that would, in some of the games, but not the kill point mission because they were trying to balance it and not make it like the primary thing. And then, uh, and then in the other missions where there were objectives, like at least two, sometimes three of them would be destroy an enemy unit and then hold the objectives or line breaker or something like that. So like they they tried to give it some thought and uh, balance it based on the mission. Um, so like that if for example in a kill point mission you wouldn't get like double points you wouldn't get maelstrom plus kill points for the same thing. Did the missions work then you found or because it's quite different to like Nova and a few events doing on the east coast. But... I mean they were effective. The obviously like the good players managed to come to the top so. It didn't skew the system that hard, but I would have preferred if they used uh, a less luck-oriented mission packet with uh, more emphasis on player skill. That's what I would have preferred. Do you feel that's like an uh, inherent problem with the Maelstrom format in general, including that? Because it does seem like once you get ahead in Maelstrom, it can... I mean, obviously, you're they kind of sort of balance that out because you can have sort of the wild swings back and forth but I guess that must be frustrating as well to you to have that sort of... It's almost like rolling on the warp storm every every turn, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Well, so kind of, like... I think a big thing in Maelstrom is if you do it a lot like ETC does it, it doesn't matter so much if you end up getting blown out on Maelstrom because you just roll crappy results and your opponent rolled amazing ones because you have other ways to make up for it, like yeah. objectives and kill points. So I think having a battle factor of other things you can do to make up for it is, is huge in the construction of, of uh, missions. Yeah, and I mean, there's they had some balance to it because the Maelstrom was always a secondary, so winning it would only get you three points. Mm -hmm. So if you felt like your list couldn't perform that, you just concentrate on the primary, and, and the primary was worth four, so you'd be up you know, in the game, and then it would come down to uh, First Blood, Linebreaker, and Warlord. Um, what the format does kind of seem to be problematic is that first blood becomes a major game decider mm. because if you get first blood then if you can get warlord and linebreaker you can at worst tie uh by getting maelstrom and your opponent beats you on primary because then you'd have six and since they can't get first blood they can only get six so so basically if, if you guys tie secondaries as far as warlord and linebreaker goes because you can both get them then if you're the Maelstrom player and you have first blood, you have worst tie. And if you were the primary player and you have Maelstrom, you can't lose. Now, Matt, you guys have um, tried to build around that with a, with a first strike rule in the, in the UK GT. Do you want to tell us about that? That's literally what I was about to ask as well. Uh, basically over here, rather than first blood, uh, some events have changed it to first strike, which is you can both get first blood but it can only be in the player's first turn. So I do, do you think that would have changed things and helped the event a little bit in that way? Personally, um, I almost never got or gave first blood until like turns two or three. So it would have just taken it off the table, which and it, it's more of a balancing thing. It also creates more draws. So it would have been fine, I think. I think somebody in the in the Midwest here does something similar to that where if you earn first blood in the same turn that your opponent earns first blood, then you both get it. Like so, like if you if it's say turn two, and I've got top and I get first blood on turn two, then my opponent still has his whole turn two to also kill something to both get first blood. Yeah, I quite like that. I think being in the first turn, 
only does the first turn is kind of silly yeah it does benefit some armies more than others such as like demons uh, almost never going to get it mm. yeah and of course it also makes you know that that role for first turn important as well like weights it and I, I feel anything that that weights the game away from very specific individual dice rolls um Rather than you know your, your your luck balancing out over yeah sure like you might roll high or low on one dice roll and it will balance out on another but one roll might be vastly more important than another one. Um, so well, that's another thing. Going second is very important in the BAO format. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's it's because they they score Maelstrom at the end of the game turn, not the end of the player turn. Okay. So if you go to an objective, then if you're going second, you can contest said objective away from your opponent. That's, if that's pretty. The Maelstrom. Yeah, that's pretty horrible. Or you can take away like the line breaker or something like that. Yeah, like that would then weight it pretty heavily towards. It's very yeah. heavily towards second. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Very, 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 very heavily. What are your thoughts on that, Matt? I don't like that at all because I suppose a lot of armies where if you control the speed, so you can just get oh you're on that objective, I'll move there, or if you're about to do this, I'll just come and stop it. Especially if you've got ways of controlling the flow of the game and going seconds who controlling when they can score that does weight massively towards being second I know Reese was doing quite a few articles and on the podcast beforehand people win just as much going first because you get the alpha strike option but with a lot of armies when you can all deploy or if the train's good enough to hide which I didn't really see too many pictures of it then you can negate the alpha strike really and just have the benefit of going second. Yeah. Was the train pretty good for like line of sight blocking things like that then? I know the one we saw on the stream looked pretty good. The stream the stream one was very good. Um a lot of the other tables were hit or miss. Um, yeah, the, the stream one was definitely there's show I'd say. Uh some tables were good, some tables were bad, pretty hit and miss. So it's pretty yeah. sort of. I mean, is that was that across the board, or was that when you got to the finals day? Because obviously, there's a lot less tables to to cover then. I can understand, you know, when you've got 300 plus entrants, that being an issue, you know, covering terrain for that for for all those tables. But on finals day, how did you feel about the terrain there? Or did you still have the same problems? If it was, you know, a bit. It was still the same, still the same thing. It was hit or miss. Okay. It was very. Yeah, I think the only table I actually cared about was the the top table. The stream table. Um, we actually had a question on uh, the Facebook wall. Um, someone asked to describe the ideal terrain for a competitive GT. Um, I definitely want to know your guys' thoughts on that now that we're on the topic of terrain. I like the top table. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like yeah, Sean likes to hide. Um, I would say, like, also. probably two or three big ruins. Um, uh, a couple of hills, a couple of smaller pieces of terrain. A, a fair bit of the board should be covered. Maybe like uh, a solid quarter, I'd say, should be covered in terrain. Maybe a little more. Uh, what about um, line of sight blockers? You know, obviously Nova had those uh, great big pedestal things in the middle of the table, which you could almost hide an entire army behind. Um, 
Yeah, definitely like a couple line of sight blockers on like the back edges, so you can like walk a shitty unit on from reserve and put it behind it. And then like maybe one big line of sight blocker from the middle, so you can create firing lanes and hide as you advance. Mm. Mm. I mean, do you feel? Do you feel that top table would be a good example for other people to follow if they're looking at um, trying to trying to cover terrain on their at their their events? Um. Or was it Personally, no. Uh, it seemed like a little too much. It seemed like it was put in the wrong places. Like, if you, if I remember the top table correctly, the middle was completely open. It was just the ends were heavily buildinged. Um, I'd prefer to have something in the middle and have the outskirts more area terrainish. Do you like Nova Terrain then, Nick? Similar to Nova Terrain, yeah. Just not quite as large, Los Block. Maybe. Not, not quite as over the top, <laughs> no. But something similar. Yeah, that, that did shock me when I was out there. You get down, it's just like, whoa. It's like a I've three, heard about this. Three foot wide ziggurat in the middle of the table. That thing was huge. Um, <laughs> cool. So um, we've got your lists here. Um, Nick, let's go through yours first, if you don't mind. Um, sure. Because it's nice and quick to go through. Um, do you want to tell us what you took and what your thoughts behind it were? Sure. So there's a, there's a Fate Weaver, there's two Heralds of Nurgle, uh, level two with greater rewards. One of them has the Female Pain Locus. Yep. Uh, there's two Heralds of Zeus, level three on discs. Uh, one of them has an Exalted Reward, which is pretty much always Grimoire. Um, one, there's one unit of 11 horrors, one unit of 10 horrors, just because I didn't have points for the 11th. Uh, there's two unit Screamers, one unit of eight drones with Venom Sting, and a champion with a greater reward. And there's an Inquisitor with three skulls. Uh, you just cut out a little second, but so, you said two screamers, two screamer units of eight, yeah? Yeah, two screamer units of eight and cool. uh, eight plague drones. Yeah. Yeah, cool. And you got the Inquisitor in his pants with uh, three server skulls. Yep. Yeah, okay. So what's the, what's the main um, thought behind this list? So basically, it's really fast. Um, it hits fairly hard in combat. It's incredibly durable, being that the screamers are two up reloadable and the play drones are two up cover, feeling pain, three wounds. Um, the when I used demons at like the ETC last year, I found the screamers kept getting tied up by wraith knights and riptides and having trouble killing these things. So the play drones do a lot to mitigate that. Um, the the basic idea is that it runs around and it plays maelstrom really well. There's no real necessary reason for me to just run at you although I could I, I really just play the mission and then hit you really hard when I can I don't necessarily have to rush you I much prefer to just stay back and watch you do nothing to my unkillableness while I just score points um, I can summon my way out of problems like eye knights and stuff I just summon demonettes and things like that to surround them mm-hmm. uh and the Inquisitor is there so I can successfully null deploy things, like specifically Tau and Eldar, Wave Serpents and Broadsides and stuff. When they roll the Infiltrate Warlord trait, they can just deploy wherever they want, go first and kill me. So with the uh, Servo Skulls, I can put like a horror behind a rock or something, and if that's all I need to do to knock a tail turn one, that's all I'm going to do. And just not play the game as long as possible. And then drop them down. As and when. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, I deep strike my drones occasionally. My screamers are so fast, it doesn't matter. Like, army's very fast at coming in out of nowhere and redeploying. 
Uh, is there anything in there that you've tailored specifically to the rules pack um, for LVO? Or is this um, a list that you would take anywhere? Actually, actually, no. This list, well, if anything, it was the Inquisitor and three server skulls, but that wasn't for LVO. That's just a thing I added into it. Um, this list is almost point for point the same list I used to win the boys in November. The only difference was I didn't have an Inquisitor, so I just dropped an upgrade and took an Inquisitor. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the list. I'm considering dropping the second squad of Screamers for two more horror units, just to increase my obsec and my Paradise. But I don't know if I'm going to implement it, because the Screamers do come in pretty clutch. When my, when my first Screamer unit dies early before it's buffed, I can just top the Heralds over and still have a functioning Screamer star. So I'm not sure if it's worth it. <clears throat> uh, you were talking about considering taking demons to ETC still as well. Is that probably going to happen? Um, we're talking about a lot of things. Our team's not committed to anything yet since you know ETC is what like seven months out. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely a consideration to be playing demons for sure. Uh, if we decide that we feel a demon player is good for our team, which it will be. Then I'd most likely get, but like Alan has some experience with demons. Kurt can Kurt's played demons before, so like if they feel like I could be better used somewhere else, mm. we might hop demons over for someone else to use. And I don't know, it's, it's all depends because like me with this list, that's a pretty good combo. But like if we decide to go like Tyranids demons or demons Tyranids, rather we might have Alan or someone play that. So it's all very what direction we go with. All right then. Um... So, Sean, welcome back, sir. Yep. Uh, it's I'm great, here. It's, it's great to have you on the podcast. But it's great to see that your uh, your Lick to Shame list was not a one-trick pony as well, as a lot of people thought it might be. I saw a lot of stuff online about, you know, oh, he was just playing the missions. It wouldn't work anywhere else and this, that, and the other. Um, and obviously you've... Uh, You've proved people wrong there. How does that feel? Uh, it feels pretty good. Um, yeah, you're right. A lot of people did discount the Win It uh, 11 company for various reasons. And uh, I didn't think that that was fair because, I mean, you win a GT, there's always luck involved in any GT. You need some match, some things go right. You have to beat a bunch of pretty good players to win, you know, so... Do you think but, it's because a lot of people just didn't understand the list and look at it and go, I don't see why it's good, that can't win, must be luck? Yeah, and I still see comments today and, and that say that's, they say the same thing, you know, that oh, I just don't understand it, that wouldn't work X, Y, Z in my area because we have this. And a lot of people, when I said, I said, well, I tailored it to beat Wave Serpents. And they're like, well, you didn't even play any Wave Serpents, so that just can't be true. Um, Wave Serpents would definitely crush you. And I was like, well, that's your opinion. Um, <laughs> but uh, I had to play three lists with Wave Serpents this weekend, so it's hard to say that now. And they definitely crushed you. Not. Yeah, they crushed me. <laughs> uh, we've got your list up here. Do you want to take us through it? Uh, yeah, so basically my list is uh, three Flyrants with uh, all the goodies, um, three Molochs, stock. Uh, two Tyrant Guard solo with Adrenal Glands, uh, one unit of Rippers, six solo Lictors, 
four mucoids or mucoids or whatever you call them um, and six units of spore mines and uh, comms. Uh, is that comms on a bunker or? Uh, bastion. Oh, bastion. bastion. Okay, cool. Sorry. Comms um, so that's a lot of um, spores of various different sizes. It's basically great big things and spores, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, so you haven't really gone on to use any of those other cool new units that came out um, <laughs> in that list. It's pretty much you're pretty much going with the uh, the Leviathan detachment um, and the Mucolids. Yeah, uh, yeah, I added the lights to the detachment and dropped the uh, Deathly Performation, which made me a little sad, but the third flyer was uh, too hard to pass up at the end of the day. Yeah, um, very, very strong. Very, very strong. Yeah. Um, so, I tried to be stuck to it, but it wasn't <laughs> worth it. Was there, any, um, was there any changes you made specifically based around the uh the LVO rules pack or was it just changes you were making towards the list as you played it more and more? You know, is there anything specific yeah. for here or is this a list you'll take elsewhere? <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um Sean you sound okay at the moment, so can we have one more take at you <clears throat> explaining this list not being tailored to LVO players? Okay. Yeah, so I didn't tailor the list specifically for LVO. Most of the changes I made were personal changes based on how things were working and um, what was now available with Leviathan and such. But it's similar to I didn't really make the list for 11th Company either in their missions. It's more designed to play games of 40K. And most games of 40K boil down to killing some stuff and taking some ground. So if you feel like your list can do those things, then you can play any mission pack basically and uh, all you have to do is adapt how you're going to play to those missions um, versus having to adapt your list time and time again to different mission packs now when we spoke to you the first time you brought out the Lictors um, 11th company um, you made it very very clear that you had a wealth of tools in your box at your disposal um, to deal with a number of different things. It wasn't just sort of like a one-dimensional list, as many of these builds are. It's very, very versatile. You've made changes since. Uh, how's that affected the versatility? Um, I think it gives me more. Um, I think there's even more versatility. And in um, what ways? In what ways as well? Because uh, there's even more diversity because... Uh, I didn't have the Tyrant Guard or the Mucloids in the last list, and I didn't have the, the third flyer. The third flyer really pushes air dominance and uh, gives me a lot more consistent output um, in terms of uh, shooting and some psychic powers. The Tyrant Guard are quite interesting to me. What's their main role there? Um, their main role was I was sad to be cutting from nine lictors to six. <laughs> so I was looking for some things that were almost the same as lictors in my mind. <laughs> and so now, like, like when I look at the list, I see eight lictors, whereas there's only six on the on the sheet. Okay, so in your mind, you've gone down from nine to eight. Yeah, so it's less less bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's great to see someone who's won 
one of the most important events in the calendar, talking about putting his list together like this. Because, like, people have this perception of, of competitive players in their mind. Like, you know, you must be sitting at home, crunching the numbers with these spreadsheets that you must have built because all you care about is squeezing the maximum efficiency out of these spammed units. No, it's, you know, they're the same size as Lictors, I can pretend that they're lictors and you know it makes me feel happy you know <laughs> that's yeah. that sort of goes goes in the face of, of popular opinion out there it's yeah well because i was always finding that i would probably need one or two lictors to land in the backfield or the midfield anyway to take either objectives or deal with threats so i was like when i was looking for things and obviously most of my four sword slots are filled up um i settled on tyrant guard because they cost almost the same as a lictor uh, well, they do cost the same, but with Adrenal, they're like five points more. Um, and so, like, they they fill that function of a rear field objective grabber. They um, And then they also have, like, they appeal to me in other ways that they have some junk utility where, like, I can do stuff with them that people might not see happening. Like, since they are Tyrant Guard and your Tyrants can join them. If a tyrant takes a bunch of wounds one turn, I can always just, if the tyrant guard are in the area, you just land next to the tyrant guard and join them and basically gain two wounds. Um, so stuff like that. So they appealed, they appealed to me in that regard. So let's get into the, the tournament proper. Um, it's quite a hectic schedule. Um, how many games are you guys having to play? I had to play nine. Okay. I only got to play seven. Um, so if, I don't remember how what the exact number of people that were, were in the tournament were, but all except for six, only played six games. And then you just played until you lost from there on out. So you play you play six rounds. So you're basically playing an entire GT anyway, mm-hmm. and that gets you down to what's it an eight man bracket, right? Yeah. So so the way Sean and I were talking about it at the actual event is he played a six round GT, figured out who the top eight were, and then those eight players just played three games of forty K. Yeah, pretty much. So it's 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 kinda like you had eight different GTs running at the same time and then the eight winners all went into a, a single elimination knockout bracket. So yeah, that's pretty that's pretty awesome. Um but it must be really mentally tiring. How do you deal with that? Uh, I got really tired. <laughs> um, I actually lost day one in round three, so that meant that I had to even I had no room for. I knew there was less than like people with one loss were going to make it. Like somewhere between four and five, we're going to make it in our uh, estimation based on the number in the field. There could only be four undefeated at max or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, so I knew people were going to make it and I had strong wins, but now I needed three more really strong wins and I couldn't, there was no room for error. If you had lost a game, then you needed a 10 or nine every single game you played. It was actually really interesting because Tyler, the Lynx player who Sean played in the semifinals, he made it because he was undefeated to the top eight, but he only had like 40 battle points, which is about 10 less than everyone else who was near the top. Mm. Yeah. And similarly, our friend, uh, John Parsons was fourth going into round six because he was still undefeated. But he lost and all he dropped like twenty seventh, thirty seventh or something like that because he just he had went he had won a bunch of his games like seven to three or something like that. So when he came down to his loss he he had he had no room for error because he didn't have enough points. 
So the big wins really counted if you were trying to just sneak up there. And yeah. Yeah. Big ones count. Um, more ironically, Sean's only loss at the whole event was to Nick Rose, who he beat in the finals six rounds later. And he was playing Sentinels and Blood Angels, right? Yeah, lots yes. of scouts. Okay. Scouting oh, versus that, Is that Bolter, games, Bolter Drill up, Scouts, right? Yeah, Bolter Drill Scouts yeah. and Blood Angel Scouts. And uh, it was a flesh terror formation, so we had two HQs, but only one troop. Okay. Yeah. A six million uh, fast attack or whatever it is. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, you had fast attack drop pots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. For the sense and command squad and some scout. He had drop potting scouts. Yeah, he he like it was just an option he could do to get scouts on the board early on to an objective and mid board versus having to walk from the sides. Yeah, interesting. It's just, it's just cheeky little options that people probably won't think about. Yeah, you know what I'm finding about top-tier lists nowadays? It's not that they have so much firepower or assault capability or durability. It's that they have lots of speed and deployment options. I agree with that. You need options. You can't... If you deploy the same way every time... You have to be able to react really well to whatever the other guy's doing. I think because there's so many lists that are a bit crazy at the moment, you're not going to have one list that can just play against everything. So you need to be able to go, right, this is one of those bad matchups, but I can do this and that and then play around it in a way. Yeah. I, fe- I feel it's very important as well, especially in some of the formats that are out there now, um, that you need to have a list that has a lot of strength reactively. Um, so not just in deployment to be able to vary up the deployment, but you need to react and and change as as the game goes on because you know especially you know like you see in LVO with the the, the random um, maelstrom generation as well um, how important that could be if you need to pick up points as you said um, <coughs> you can definitely be um, so those mobile durable um, being able to f- focus on areas of the areas of the battlefield um, very very quickly very very valuable. Um, and obviously, you guys have, have both got that in your lists. Yeah, both of us have so many deployment options, and we're both very fast when we play. But also with the ability to hit very hard as well in, in areas that you need to. Um, yes. So, you know. And also, it's, it's not like after we're deployed and after we've reserved and set up everything, we're, we're stuck to where we are. Sean has the Molochs and the Flyerns who can react really quickly still. Yeah. Yeah, and I have uh, I have summoning to get me out of any crazy places, and a lot of my stuff is jet bikes. <clears throat> so yeah, I think we're seeing that being. Uh, I, I definitely think movements. A lot of people said sh- like shooting was the most important thing in in this edition, in seventh edition. Um, but I really feel you know movement is and probably will always be the most important thing in in forty k. Yeah. That ability it's to, only, it's to the con- it's the only thing you can control. Uh, yeah. shoot, shooting is still a dice game. Psychic yeah. is still a dice game. Assault is still a dice game. Movement is the only thing that's universally 100 percent under your control. I mean, you can. I mean, some movement through terrain stuff is a little random, but for the most part, movement is something you can choose to do. So if you can win that, then you can win a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. Um, so were there any lists that you came across during the tournament that really like 
raised your eyebrows or thought that you know were a surprise to you obviously most people were doing that to your list sean but um <laughs> was there yeah, anything else out there that you came across there is one list that, that really uh, stuck out to me. It, it was a tower he played by Paul McKelvey. He is uh, the champion of the ITC, which is like the West Coast Torn of Fire, basically. Um, so his list was a, it looked like a standard tower list for the most part, with uh, two Riptides, the Broadside Formation, uh, Sniper Drones, some Battle Suits. Um, but the way he used it, it outflanked and deep struck and completely surrounded me. It, almost nothing deployed. And used uh, positional relays and homing beacons and tetras to get wherever he wanted, pretty much. Completely surround me. He had a comms to make sure everything came in turn two. It's pretty amazing, actually. With talking about that list, that are a bit different. I know you two are both more East Coast based, where there's not really much Forge World or Stronghold or so that kind of thing. Was it quite a big shock? some of the lists you were seeing out there and playing against some of the things like I know you said you played the Lynx, Sean. Yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I would see lists around the room and be like, well, I don't know what that thing does. I've never read the Forge World rules. Like, the Brass Scorpion, I guess, is ridiculous. And, I mean, I kind of knew what the Lynx did because some people we know have been talking about it, but, like, we don't see any of this stuff on the East Coast, really. And even, like, the regular Forge World units, um would be something of like a a shocker but i didn't actually run into that many on my way i think just the links was the only forge world thing i think i mean someone had a malanthrope or the so like the tyranny trouted thing but like that's not really crazy uh, i played against tetras a couple times but you know i knew what tetras do they're pretty straightforward it's like a cron on steroids um, and I played against the Vulture in two Saber platforms. I had vague ideas of what they did, but after like a quick rundown of their stats before the game with my opponent, I had a pretty great idea of how they worked and functioned, so nothing caught me off guard. Were there a lot of things like Malanthropes and Hornet, that kind of thing? Oh yeah, I did play Hornets in one game too, yeah. That's right. I had two Hornets. Um, only two. That's that doesn't count. Yeah, well, was the guy who won a T shift, was it? Yeah, the T shift winner had it. Had two. Um, but yeah, we don't do anything less than six here. Uh, that's sad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I mean, but I would see it. Like I, I saw somebody who had like six Forge World knights. Okay. Like, and like I, like I was like, really, you can get six in a list? I don't know. Like I don't know really what they cost or whether they're regular knights being used as Forge World models or whatever it was. But it looked like he had six. I was like, wow. And they were pretty beautiful looking too. So I was just like, uh, what is that? I do like the Forge World knight models. They are really nice. Yeah. And then somebody else had a Fire Raptor, Brass Scorpion, a Sycorin. I was like, what the heck? That's right. The Yeah. Was that all in one list? Oof. Yeah, I think that was all in one list. I don't think there was much else in the list, but <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Sounds like it's building up quite quickly. <laughs> but yeah, like I don't, I don't know, but like I feel like there wasn't that much of it in the top eight. Um, you know, I was actually looking when I was going to prepping for LVO. I was looking through my four world options for chaos marines, demons, that kind of thing. Hmm. Uh, really, none of it impressed me. I was just like, my list is just straight up stronger than these choices I have, so I'm just going to stick with it. 
I played around with taking this invisible brass scorpion with Bellicor and the brass scorpion and maybe even possibly grimming it, but I just decided it's not worth it. It's probably not even that good. So, I don't know with it. Did and you, you try it at all? Or? I didn't try it, but I just kept thinking of ways people could counter it. Because at the end of the day, it's just one, it's like an Imperial Knight, but one that can't die. Except it gets linked. Yeah, it, you know, it, it can still get one-shotted. And like, uh, yeah, it, it's just one Imperial Knight that can't die. It, it kind of goes not- against that idea of versatility and flexibility, doesn't it? Because you're you're basically investing that that sort of thing you know at least half of your army into literally one trick and if you come up against a counter to that trick then you're pretty screwed yeah Yeah. and i was thinking about like i'll probably table like four or five opponents but like there's no way i can go nine and zero with that kind of a list yeah and the same thing with like most of a lot of the tuning players are running uh i don't know if it was a lot but i know at t-shift a lot of them were running uh bar power duels and i know there were a bunch there um, but it's at the end of the day, like it's whatever five hundred point unit, and if you get links slapped, you know you lose. Yeah. Um, I mean, what was the situation with Imperial Knights? There was there any sort of restrictions on them at all, or no? no? They they were in full force. I saw okay. a lot of two to three knight armies. I saw even like because a it's it's very interesting to see that there's literally just one Imperial Knights faction as a secondary in the entirety of the top eight which was uh, Steve Sisk's mm-hmm. uh, and he lost first round against Jeff Thompson um, yeah there weren't a lot they, they were, didn't, as they far didn't as make I could tell there were no Imperial Knights near the top there were, I saw a bunch floating around as I walked around the hall but they were none of them were doing well do you feel in tournaments like this where you're playing a greater number of games that those sort of lists that do rely on tabling you know four or five people and then hoping to get past that one bad matchup they just fall short too soon in say a nine round a, a tournament you have to win nine games to, to win or play nine games to win sorry yeah I think that's I think it's a problem plus again we talk about like if knights dominate but the west coast talks about it all the time about you know D being the great knight denominator and the Lynx just slaps knights down, you know. Mm. So the knight players all play people with bigger things, and there are bigger things when you allow Lords of War than those Lords of War laugh off the knights, and then the knights don't make it further, you know. So it could end up being a matchup thing. Whereas if they all, have, if all the knight players have to play lynxes and whatnot, then their Adlance shield doesn't really matter if the D slaps. Also, you. Uh, one other thing: the the near the hotness is three flyers and. There's so many three flowering armies, I can't even stick a stick at it. And three flowers <laughs> are a pretty solid counter to knights in themselves. Overstress the shield, fly so they can't hurt you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the the, the three or even four Florence are tremendously strong. Um, were you allowed to self-ally, by the way, or was it literally just? You could you could self-ally. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. As long as there was a. You couldn't do. There wasn't double CAD, but you could do CAD. You could do CAD and allied detachment. Okay. I mean, CAD. again, that opens up slightly different things as well. It's very interesting to to to, to look at that sort of the meta game, as as people call it, and um, you know, break down why certain things do and don't work. Um, yeah. 
for I, if I thought it would have worked, I would have ran eight heralds and fate weaver, but it's just <laughs> much more points. It's not good. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you guys. I mean, obviously, you've got a very small list, um, Nick, but you mm-hmm. have the ability to to pump out more of it. And the stuff that you do have is tr- is durable enough, and there's a lot of durable targets there. Um, yeah, I was actually I was looking at my list because I don't I don't really type it up ever, but I typed it up for this event, and it was painfully small to look at. I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> And uh, then I was thinking about how I play it and stuff, and I didn't even summon for the first, like, four games of LVO. And I only summoned occasionally to fill in niche roles. Yeah, as uh, and when you needed, sort of like... Yeah, I didn't just, like, randomly summon horrors and demonettes here or there because I can. Most of my powers were either, like, a random flicker fire or completely defensive. Mm. And the, the reason for that is I play this denial game really well, where, like, if my opponent rolls kill a maelstrom, or kill a unit for his maelstrom... If I summon something, you can do that. You can kill ten hearts. Yeah, instead of yeah. If I yeah. don't summon, you're not going to kill my drone star, my screamer star. Yeah, yeah. You're definitely never going to put a finger on Fate Weaver as well. Um, yeah, with him flying around wherever he it wants. No way. And I'm imagining you're keeping those horrors off for as long as is humanly possible. Yeah, they're off or going to ground in a ruin for at least yeah. three or four ones. All kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that denial game is very important. Um, so Sean let's talk about um, some of your games if you don't mind um, we, tr- we try and stay away from the play by play turn by turn accounts because otherwise we'll be here until five hours time from now with nine games to go through but um, yeah there's a lot of games <laughs> yeah um, do you want to just let us know you know some of the maybe some of the more interesting points um, some of the, the tougher matches that you had um, yeah um so I'll just like list a couple as I go through. I'll list a couple of the different armies I played. Mm. Um, I opened up against a nice guy playing four wave serpents, two wraith knights, and then deep scythe wraith guard with an archon to to jump in. And um, yeah, uh, the wraith knights are tough for me, but I was managed to put a bunch of MSU on his home objective and wear the game down to the point where I was able to win. Because um, just a Wraith Knight can only kill one unit a turn, so it took him too many turns to clear the objective. Um, and that's how I managed to win that game, because otherwise Wraith Knights are pretty hard for me to deal with. Um, and then round two, I was playing the T-Shift winner and his very firepower Tau Eldar list. So he had Summon Seer, um, Four wave serpents, two hornets, fireblade cadre. So the six broadsides, riptide. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and we were playing kill points, and he had, he had a void shield as well. Um, and uh, that game was really, uh, really cool because like when he had one T shift, I kind of thought, well, I could probably beat that list. Um, playing against that list would uh, maybe get people to get off my back about I can't beat wave serpents. Um, so we end up playing in the round two because they do whatever I think we, it looked like they did named pairings and we're both named Sean so we're like oh named pairings that's cool <laughs> um, and uh, yeah so then I land it was the, my, my favorite comical moment was I land in, in, with deep striking lictors inside his void shield and then he starts to overwatch me with uh, smart missile systems from his broadsides or intercept me rather yeah and I let him roll the dice, 
and uh, the broadsides are outside the void shield. And I'm like, and so he rolls the wound, and he's like, oh, four wounds, that lictor's dead. And I'm like, what strength are you? He's like, five. Oh, I was like, oh, you bounce harmlessly off your own void shield. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's just mean. But yeah. Positives. And uh, the Moloch had landed and killed like two of the broadsides from one unit. And uh, the, the other ones I didn't hit. But like, so I had two, bro- two Molochs on the field, three Flyerants. And so I killed both Hornets that turn. And um, I'm sitting there, and he gets all the Dire Vendors out. And he starts shooting, and he starts with the Wave Serpents, and he wears down and kills a Moloch. And he had summoned Demonettes the other turn, so they had moved towards the other Moloch. And I think he was pretty confident, and I was pretty confident that they would kill that Moloch, because Demonettes either do no damage or they just blow monsters up. So I always assume they're just going to blow the monster up. And uh, then the Dire Avengers start pumping into the Lictors, and I'm in ruins. So I just start going to ground, and two up covers. So like they all take like one wound, and they're all sitting there. And... Then I'm like, oh, well, I fly a flyer up. Now they're all fearless. They all stand up. And my flyers are flying around. And to three of his wave serpents, I do like like two whole points each. And um, then I charge them all with like one lictor. And then his one other wave serpent that was unhurt, I charge with two. And so then the first lictor's like, oh, that wave serpent's dead. Oh, that wave serpent's dead. Oh, that wave serpent's dead. And the, other, the two guys managed to kill the full health wave serpent. And he just looks up at me and he's like, that shouldn't happen. I'm like, what do you mean? It's like a shit ton of strength six. <laughs> of course, that should happen. Uh, and then from there, like that was from that turn on, he couldn't recover in the kill point mission because even though he started killing a lot of the, the lictors, like his his list had uh, basically lost most of its firepower by that point. Um, and then round three, I played Nick Rose, and. I was starting to get really tired at this point because uh, I had a late, late flight in the night before and the whole West Coast time change thing. And we were playing on a board that was definitely one of the worst boards in terms of terrain. Like there was almost zero area terrain on the board. I was like, are you serious? Like, we're, uh, like, and then like the big, like impassable building up and we're playing Relic up in the buildings where he impassable and we near the middle of the board. And I'm like, what is this going on? So... I'm going second, and he keeps his sense in a drop pod, and he keeps he manages to not come in turn two. So I have nothing. I don't. And then all my Molochs, even with the reroll, come in, even though I'm trying to keep them off. So I just have to land and kill stuff. And then the sense come in, they blow up two Molochs. Lysander kills a Moloch, and then the next turn, my Flyrens are flying around, and he shoots them with a the sense. And even though they're in the air, two of them die. And I'm like, oh well, this isn't looking good. Um, and I managed to rack up enough Maelstrom points that when the game ends, I win Maelstrom, but he wins primary. And so I lose like six to five. So then I'm like, oh, okay. Tomorrow needs to be a big day. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that was day one for me. Uh, Nick, how was your day one? Um, so my day one... Um, I got this Tau player, and he had a pretty pretty standard Tau list. It was like two Riptides, a broadside formation, some random dudes floating around. So is that, is that three total? Sorry? Is that three Riptides oh, it was two total? Riptides, two broadsides total. Oh, okay, so, all right, cool. Yeah. Um, so, basically, he won the role for first, then it was Donovore and Burzoil. So, it's a pain in the ass to deploy, to multiply Donovore. So... I managed, he 
put everything out on uh, on one flank where all the objectives were. So I had to put my drone star and my screamer star all the way on the opposite side of the board where they couldn't really get shot, but they were nowhere near the objectives. And I just buffed up and I ran at him. Uh, everything else was in reserve. And I buffed up and I ran at him. And slowly but surely I got there. Probably by turn three I hit combat. And within between turn three and five, I managed to kill almost the entire tower army because I had an unmolested drone star and screamer star in it by turn three. Um, so that's that game. Round two, um, let me remember. Oh, it was, it was the Ravenwing player. Uh, he it was Ravenwing plus the Tau formation. In hindsight, I played a lot of Tau formations. Uh, hmm. Yeah. So what he what happened was he had scattered up all of his bikes. Um, because I forgot to deploy my servo skulls, so that happened. And uh, he shot all these plasma guns and all these bolters, and I played Drone Star, and I, they just bounced off of my two-up cover. And then I charged him, and slowly but surely I killed his whole army. By turn four, I believe he was tabled. Um, round three, I played that tab player I was talking about earlier with the... Uh, the crazy deployment option list. So it was a relic in that game, and it was Hammer and Anvil. So I deployed just my Screamer Star and just my Play Drone Star, and everything else is in reserve. So I went first, and I'm sorry, I went second. So he went first and did nothing. And then I went first. Um, I grabbed the relic with my drones. I tried to Grimoire my Screamer Star, but I failed. So what I had to do was endurance them. So when everything came on, uh, I was going to shoot my. I failed Grim Streamer Scar that was endurance. And I was I fully expected to lose the unit because it was like an entire tower army shooting at that unbuffed Screamer Star. Uh, I passed a lot of saves. I lost like five Screamers. Um, and then I played from there. A big turning point in that game was Fate Weaver came on from reserve. And uh, I guess the guy didn't see this coming, but uh, he lined up a perfect beam for Fate Weaver. So I got like three broadsides, a couple Tetras, a battle suit. Uh, random solo suit. So I killed like a bunch of broadsides, both tetras, a solo suit, all that with just one beam. And that was a pretty big turning point. Um, and with second turn, I basically just like ran the relic away from his army with my drone star, killing stuff as I went. And uh, I just took it from there. Good stuff, good stuff. Um... Was then much parting after the first day then or semi-serious you knew you still had three games to go that is just what yeah. I was about to ask <laughs> yeah so two comics but my third round opponent was pretty good he was very good actually but uh, yeah from after my second round my games were not easy I would say that um, so yeah did you guys do much in between the days or were you taking it very seriously um Friday night, because that was that day one was Friday. Um, we went out to see a club. Me, Warner, and John Parsons. All right. It was pretty fun. Uh, John ended up getting kicked out twice. That's impressive. It's impressive. Yeah, it was. And uh, me and Warner just dicked around, doing club things. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much it. <laughs> no goals this year. No, no, not this time. We got back at like four or five a.m. To bed, had to get up at ten. Oh, what yeah, time do you start? That's probably one thing to point. It started at eleven. They were very nice about the starting time. Yeah, I, I think I remember hearing Reese talking about that actually, and that makes a lot of sense because obviously you're in Vegas, mm -hmm. you want to be going out in the evening, 
you don't mind staying up late anyway. It's cool. Yeah, I mean, so. the, the tournament ended at like eight or nine o'clock every night, but that was fine. Yeah, people, the, the city works at night, so it's cool. Exactly, that gives you an hour and a half to go back, get changed, have a shower, and then you're back out again, and everything's still open that time anyway. So yeah, awesome. Yeah, the only timing issue I think was the lunch break was like twenty minutes, and uh, there was like if your game went like to time then you would have no time after game one to like yeah. get some food. And that was the only, I think the only issue. Where were like, you guys in? Bally's? Was it Bally's? Oh, the, the Flamingo. Oh, the Flamingo. Okay. So that's a so like they had a food court. They had a food court downstairs, but like it was yeah. so, you had to like sprint, get some food and then like eat it, like stuff your face real quick. Or, yeah. yeah. I, I, are those, those, those hotels as well, like getting down, like you, you'd think, oh yeah, they've got, a, they've got a food court in the building. You can just get there in two minutes. It's not a problem. No, it's, it, it's definitely not that, that easy. And like you said, it's it really busy as well. So. Yeah. And it, it came up again too, even on like the championship day where like after round one, we, we Nick Rose and I tried to go get food and they were like, yeah, we need you guys to come back right now because since we're on a live feed, we, we we promised people the live feed would start at a certain time. We need you to come back. And we were like, uh, we're trying to eat so we don't pass out in the middle of the finals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, we lived. It was just, it was like, it was a, a lot of us kept saying to each other, it, it's not even almost, it's like a Warhammer tournament, but it's also like a Warhammer Iron Man because you got to go nine, yeah. <laughs> nine rounds. You, the schedule is extremely fast paced. Like it's the the people that are like able to think and finish the the, the day, or you know make it. You know. Yeah, I can imagine. You know, by by game nine, your your brain was probably pretty much on autopilot by then. It must have been. I think, especially with it being in Vegas, it's a bit more of a challenge as well. Cause there's so much around you. Whether quite blue. Day two just ended up missing loss to the highlights of Vegas, or not too bad. Yeah, I think there were some drops after day one, uh, and uh, either people just didn't want to, just wanted to party and forget about it because they had bad days, or just were like, well, whatever. It's Vegas. <laughs> uh, so let's get into game uh, day two. If you want to kick us off again, Sean. Okay. Um, yeah. So day two, I got in round one. Um, so now day two, since I had already lost, I'm coming in with the added pressure of can't lose again, definitely. Can't even really tie, so I need to win three games if I'm going to make it. Um, and I probably need to win fairly large uh, to make it. So round one, I'm playing an interesting list, and it was orcs with the new Necrons, and then the orcs were summoning. So it was there's a lot going on in that game. He had mega knobs in trucks. He had lucky stick war boss in a battle wagon with like 15 boys. Um, another truck with boys, some orky artillery, some Gretchen and two summoning weird boys. And the new canoptic harvest formation from Necrons where the wraiths have uh, reanimation protocols. Is that the uh, one with the uh, scarabs and the spider? Yeah, the scarabs and spider, and the spider gives everybody special rules. Yeah. So, in that game, I actually made a brain fart round one, turn one because I wanted a maelstrom point. I was like pretty confident about the game, but I was, I was like, oh, I want this maelstrom point. So I went for it with a tyrant guard, knowing that going for it, I was going to give up first blood. 
and knowing that I really didn't need the Maelstrom point to win the game, but I went for it anyway. And then I gave it first blood. So at the end of the game, I'm like, damn, there's a whole point, and I, I need all the points I can get to make it to the top eight. I just can't, you know, gave up a point to start the game, a point that I can't get back. It's first blood only one person can get. Yeah. But uh, turn two, I started taking control of the game. Um, because I started, that's when my reserves come in. So that's when the game really starts for me. Um, and I actually almost, I, I was debating whether to go big or go home. And I dropped a Moloch. The first Moloch I dropped, I dropped right on a truck with Mega Knobs in it. I was like, well, you know, it's strength six, it's AP2, they're open top. If the Moloch rolls a six and blows it up, you know, the second, the second strike will hit Mega Knobs. And. It did. It blew up the truck and then k killed two Mega Knobs because one took a wound from the explosion. And then I dropped the second Wallock on the second truck of Mega Knobs being like, well, I mean, if I could do it once, I might be able to do it again. And I'd actually rolled two pens on, on that truck, but uh, he ramshackle, he rolled a six both times, turned him into glances. But So like, it would have been very, very funny. Um, and then the other hard thing for me in that match looking at his list was the lucky stick mega armored war boss you know the re-rolling two plus saves is pretty nasty yeah, yeah yeah so um he had driven it he had driven it right up next to his truck and so i dropped spore mines all around it or all around the battle wagon and ran them to hug it and then flew two flyrants over it and shot it dead and but I only wrecked it. I didn't explode it. So now there's no room for him to get out. So everybody in the war boss die um, without getting on the board, which was key. And yeah, from then on, it just took a couple more turns to whittle him down. Um, and then round two on day th day two, I was playing a big West Coast guy who. Does a lot of inter internet tactics for Tyranids. Uh, JY2 on DACA. Great okay. guy. Um, and he was running uh, five Flyrins. Five Flyrins, Malanthrope, three Lictors, Moloch, two Rippers, and a Void Shield. And our game came down basically. I mean, I think I was going to win anyway because I think I have more ground presence. Um, but our game was basically over in my mind during the psychic rolling phase before the game because he rolled zero screams and I rolled three screams. And then I put my Lictor in a Bastion to see if I could draw him in for first blood. And he sent three Flyrins to go kill the Lictor, like flaming into the Bastion and stuff. And um, I was able to put all three of my Flyrins who had flying off the board next to all three of his flyers that were still on the board, two of his had flown off, and screamed three times and hit all three with all three screams. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I, junk, I junked the first scream. I threw a ton of dice at it so that when he tried to deny it, he didn't roll enough enough fives because they didn't have five because they're psychers. Um, but I used up all his dice, and uh, the first scream I roll, I roll a 10, and I'm like, oh, that flyer's dead. And he's like, no, it's not. It's leadership 10. I'm like, well... It's 2d6 plus 2, and you're minus 3, so it's 12 or 7, so you're dead. And he was like, oh, I forgot about shadows. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then the second roll is 11, and so that flyer dies. And then 
with all three screams, I didn't kill the third flyer, which is amazing um, that he didn't die. And I shot him with all three flyers, and he still didn't die. He had like one wound left. And then his flyers come on, and they shoot my flyers, and his two first flyers kill one of mine, and then they do two wounds to another one. I'm like, okay, well, he just got amazing luck with his shooting that I couldn't even get. And so I'd actually drop a flyer out of flying to join it to a tyrant card to get plus two wounds. Yeah. And I scream again and kill the wounded flyer. And then, so basically he spent the whole game in an aerial fight, flyer versus flyer, while my ground troops eliminated his ground troops with impunity. Which he had obviously vastly superior strength. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. when I came in, when I came in uh, he had the Malanthrope right next to Elector and I just dropped Molochs, like so they would hit it and two Molochs killed both guys. Okay. Um, he was like, wow, you rolled a lot of, <laughs> you rolled two hits there. I was like, yeah, well, I mean, it happens. I got three of them. Um, <laughs> it can happen. And then when his, his Moloch came on, I charged it with like three Lictors and a Moloch and finished it. And so like I was way up on, a, I had all the objectives. I was way up on Maelstrom. Um, so then when the game ended, all, all I didn't have was Warlord and First Blood. So I got like an eight. Um, so now I'm starting to worry because I'm like leaving points on the table in every round and hoping that I'm going to get enough. And in the last round, I was playing the top West Coast Demon player, and he's playing Fate Weaver, two Screamer Stars, two Heralds, and three Flyerns. And I'm like, oh, crap. More Flyerns, yay. <laughs> and I'm planning to play like as cagey as I can early and like fly off the board and like play the long game, see if I can draw him in, see if my ground forces can beat his stuff and survive Flyerns until certain times. But he rolls really bad on the Warp Storm turn one. Yeah. And he fails the Grim. Or maybe he didn't fail the Grim, but... Uh, he rolled minus one, so I think they were like... What does that make them? Four ups? Rolled minus one. If, it's their, if they're Grimmed, we'll make them three. He has no Cursed Earth. And then minus one on the Warp Storm will make them four. four yeah, that's right. That's three, four. Yeah. yeah. So I was like... Well, let's go after it right now. Go balls deep. So I flew the flyer and straight into Screamer Star and shot them and killed one Herald, took it down to one Screamer, and the, the Grim Herald lived. But And then the next turn, he failed the Grim, joining the other Herald, joining the other Screamers, and then flew them to the, like, the far edge of the board. And so they're sitting there with five up saves, or six up saves if they failed the Grim, something like that. Yeah, if, we, if there's nothing else, then yeah. Yeah. And so then I drop Mollocks on him, but I only hit one time, so it kills like a couple guys. Um, no, actually, I think I hit him twice, so I kill like half the unit. Um, Harold still lives. Um, shoot him with some a flyer and do a little more damage. Um, so like I've, with the first two turns, the warp storm is kind of like abandoned him, and guys are die. All the guys are dying, and then his flyer and speed up my flyer and. And one of them grounds and gets charged by drones, but actually beats the drones off and is ends up on the ground. And so he drops his flyers out of the air to because they've flown past me at this point. Yep. So drops out of the air and lands. But I've got like lictors in the area, but not really close. But he charges a lictor with horrors. And the horrors lose to the lictor. And then the lictor hit and runs straight towards his, his flyers. And I have three Molochs in reserve, or 
at least two of them or something like that. No, I think it was three. And so I just drop all three Molochs on top of the two Flyrens and kill one, do three wounds to the other one. Lictor shoots him and kills him. So, like, I had gone from, like, a disadvantage and then back to an advantage. Um, so, like, th that happened. Then Fate Weaver comes back on, and I shoot him with the flyer, and I do, like, three wounds to him. So he's almost dead. And um, my lictors are beating the crap out of, like, horrors and um, stuff. And he had one unit of demonettes that he summoned that scattered off the board four turns in a row, um, which was... Highly amusing. They kept mishapping off the board. In a four four in a row. Yeah, like four turns in a row. Mad. Mishap off the board. Um. So yeah. So I actually got a ten in that game, and then had to sit around and wait to see when the, they would announce it. And I managed to just have enough. I uh, had enough points to finish sixth to make it to day two. Good stuff, good stuff. So yeah, can you take us through your uh, your second day, please? Sure. So uh, it started out. Um, who was I playing? Oh, I got paired up with uh, Josh something. I forget his last name. He was pretty good. He was a West Coast guy. Uh, he had the flu, so I don't know how the hell he was still standing while this was going on. But it was real, real flu or like man flu. Like, like the, he was in the ER the night before flu. Jesus yeah. Christ. Okay. So I don't know how he was still going, but he was going. Uh, he played a really good game. Um, I almost lost. It was uh, Hammer and Anvil scouring. Um, really, my saving grace was the fact that I had bought him. He had this amazing blob with, like, Cypher and Tiggy, and they were forewarned, and rerolling saves with the priest, and they tied up my play Drone Star forever. And turn after turn after turn, I had to keep summoning demonettes around them, around my combat with the play Drones and the blob, to keep them from hitting and running and killing everything else in my army. So, I was using all my resources to summon these units while my Screamers tried to manage whatever was left in his army, and eventually I got to his backfield and started eating things. But it was, it was really close. He had a ton of obsec all over the place. And thankfully, I had bought him, so I was able to contest the objectives I needed to and hold the ones I needed to, kill what I needed to, and I, I got the win. Um, but yeah, he, he really impressed me. Playing that sick, playing that well, and almost beating was something pretty impressive. Um, Round five, I guess it was. I don't remember who I played. Oh, man. Uh, it was this guy, Grant Clark, from the West Coast. He was uh, he was playing Dark Angels Guard. He had, like, two Libbies, two Guard Blobs, Pask Unit, um, and some Marines and Pods. Just like an obsec army that's really, really hard to move. And then Pask started to do all the damage. Um, it was Objectives, and it was Vanguard. So what ended up happening was he played it really well. He didn't try to, like, alpha strike him with his pods or anything dumb. He just played it safe and backed off. So uh, I just waited for his army to come in. Then I tied up as much as I could with the Drone Star. And uh, the thing is, it was Big Guns Never Tire. So he was parked with, like, 150 OPSEC guys on his two objectives, but he had no mobility. So I had my 20 OPSEC cars on my objectives, and there was no way... Either of us were going to do anything about that. Like, I'm, I can't kill 150 guys, and he can't get over to my horrors. So we're going to draw objectives in my head, which which sucks, because I'm trying to win here. But uh, thankfully, it's big guns, and he has uh, a random Lehman Rust floating around, and I have no heavies. So I have Vate Weaver Flicker Fire its rear a couple times, and it finally went down. And then I won objectives one 
one point to zero points because none of us had we both had two objectives. And uh, I had Maelstrom because I kept his army tied up the entire game. But yeah, he played it really tight and he kept his loss to a minimum and it was good. Then uh, round six, I played Alan, who's another Team America member. He was running uh, three Flyrens, Fate Weaver, Lord of Change, and a Demon Prince. And uh, yeah, that's, that's a tough army. And mm -hmm. he won the roll for first. So usually I'd be like, oh shit, I'm screwed. Because um, he can just choose second. And then my ground advantage is really heavily hampered by the fact that he has second turn. He can just land and not take any damage for the first six turns, five turns. But he, he actually, immediately after he did this, he was like, this was a mistake, but he chose for his turn. Uh, I null deployed his Alpha Strike with three Flyers, did nothing, and then from there I just ruled the ground completely and took it from there. He did manage to win Maelstrom from me, um, but it didn't matter because I had First Blood and I had Objectives and Line Breaker, and that's all you really need. So that was my day two. At this point, I was 6-0 and in first seed going into day three for the top eight. And yeah, so far so good. Um, which brings us to the top eight, the elimination bracket, um, and obviously you guys' first match was against each other. Right. I'll, uh, I'll let Sean start on that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Nick and I are good friends, and uh, we know each other really well, and he lost the game because he thought he had won the game already. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> so uh, it, me and Sean whenever we have games they're always pretty great except for when they're blowouts it's uh it's always one of those games where you're just both dicking each other over where repeatedly I think I'm going to win and then Sean does some crazy maneuver and then he thinks he's going to win and then I do something crazy back and eventually it boils down to something really close happening and this game was a classic version of that um Sean was completely surrounding my army, and he had bottom turn and first blood, and he had no reason to lose whatsoever until I popped out a sunburst with Fate Weaver that killed five lictors and all of his spore mines in one shot because um, he just didn't realize I had sunburst. Um, so at that point, I had checked that in my head. I was like, I won. And then following that, Sean perilsed his warlord and grounded his flying tyrant warlord. So then I got to kill that with screamers the next turn. So at this point, I now have warlord. He's down to fly right, and all the lickers and spore mines are gone. Um, so I'm like mentally checked out. Here. Of course, Sean goes into I need to win this game mode. So he's trying to play way harder, and I'm like easing up off the throttle. So we play really, really tough at each other and eventually we get to objectives where I, if it went, ended on five I would have lost, but it went to six and uh, how did it go? So I actually won primary having more objectives than him and I'm like ready to shake his hand. I'm like, I won, makes it good to be me. And John's like, uh, you're about to win. So he, you know, he was about to extend his hand to shake mine and then he was like, Wait a second, I won Maelstrom. And I was like, what does that matter? That doesn't matter, I won. And he's just like, no, Nick, no. And then we counted the points. And it was actually a dead draw because he had Maelstrom for three, first blood, second, first blood, warlord, and linebreaker for the three secondaries for six. I had primary for four, I had uh, linebreaker and warlord for six. We dead drew on the mission. And then we were like, what do we do now? So we got the judge over, they told us to count the victory points. And I had won by like 50 or something. But then I had to count out the points that I summoned that Sean killed, the one horror squad I summoned. And that actually tipped it in Sean's favor by about 40 points. So then Sean won on the final tiebreaker by 40 points. 
So it was another really, really close game. I know you guys um, play a lot, as you said. You haven't played in um, like a major event in a while, though, is that right? Yeah, like a year. Uh, yeah, we usually play like pretty much every major tournament we both attend, but this time, this past year, we haven't actually gotten the chance to play. Hopefully, uh, you won't have to wait too long for a, for a revenge. Yeah, maybe at Adepticon. Uh, so that brings us now, Sean, you are two games away from taking the whole thing. Obviously, we have spoiled it, and everyone knows that you've won already. Um, but your next match is up against Tyler with the Eldar. Is that right? Yep, uh, the Lynx. Um, now, we've spoken about that quite a fair bit in conversation. Um, and, you know, us, us guys in the UK, we are used to Forge World, but the Eldar stuff we normally see is swathes and swathes of, hunt, of uh, Hornets rather than, rather than the Lynx. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? As you remember it, anyway. Uh, yeah. Um, so the Lynx has six hull points. It has Titan Hollow Fields, which means every time you hit it, you have to roll a four up to see if you actually hit it. Um, and then it has the Pulsar, the double D blast, two shots. And I think you can pay ten points to get a scatter laser so that you can twin link those Pulsar shots. Um, it's nasty. Um, there was uh, definitely, I definitely figured I was going to lose like a Moloch a turn just to that. Um, so, I, but since it can't hit flyers, I was kind of hopeful that as long as I could get rid of everything else, then I could come back to the links eventually with the flyers because it's only AV 11 and maybe I could wear it down. Um, and then this game and the final game, obviously, are both on. The Twitch feed, so anybody that wants to see them can go watch them at Frontline Twitch. Um, but yeah, so I got to the table. They told me I was playing the links, and I was like, okay. And I looked at the table and I said, well, that's not too bad. The terrain was uh, the most dense and as of any table in the tournament, and there was more line of sight blocking than on any other table in the tournament. So I already felt like that there was some advantages I could start to flex with uh, lictors and in that regard um, and then I lost the role to go first so I had to go first so I really didn't deploy anything except I think one tyrant guard and two units of spore mines um, I had the warlord trait to reroll reserves so I wasn't worried about that um, so my turn one was all of 10 seconds I was like, okay, your turn. And uh, the people announcing, actually, they thought I was going second because I didn't do anything. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> no, he's going first. I'm going first, rather. And I'm already done. So then his turn one, he moves around because he has nothing to shoot at. I think he throws the Lynx shot at the Bastion and doesn't roll a six. And uh, then my reserves start coming in, and I start putting lictors next to Wave Serpents and threatening him and... I only get two flyers in, so they fly over a serpent and shoot it, and they don't kill it. They only do two hull points. So I know now. I know now. I know I'm going to give up first blood, and I think he already he also got two maelstroms turn one. So I'm already down on maelstroms, um, and we're playing kill points. So then he starts shooting, and the 
starts with a D and the D slaps the Moloch so it's dead. And he starts pouring fire dragons and wave serpents into and dire avengers into lictors and whatnot. And uh, I think he kills like two lictors that turn too. Yeah, something like that. So I think I lose like three kill points that turn. And he starts to maneuver around and flee some stuff. And what I think was his biggest mistake is he flies these he puts these hawks and he flies his weight his farseer and the jet bike unit over the other side of the board, but they're right next to the tyrant guard. Like they're five inches away. Okay. So but it's kill points. And I'm like, you could have gone to the corner, you could have gone somewhere. I just didn't I, I don't understand where he was going with that and I'm sure he's if he's watched the game afterwards, he's like, well, I don't know why I did that. Because then I charged a tyrant guard into the bike unit, and like it's spread out. It's like only like a couple guys fight, and I'm T6. So I kill them. I kill like two guys, and they flee, and I sweep them. So I get I get the farseer, I get a bike unit, and then I beat up the hawks too with the other tyrant guard. And they don't they flee and they get away actually, but still they're fleeing. So now they're almost doing no damage. So, but and I'm right there, so I'm gonna get get back to them eventually. So. Uh, he sacrificed three kill points for no real gain that I could see. I mean, maybe he had something he was doing, but I don't know. And uh, that tur- so the turn three, I get those guys. I get one, two wave serpents and some dire avengers. And so now I'm like up on kill points. And I have a lictor and a moloch charge the links, and they start to do some hull points to it. And uh, on his turn, he then D's out another Moloch. But the Lynx stays where it is, so there's a Lictor just, like, sitting next to it. And every turn, for, like, four turns in a row, I charge the Lynx with the Lictor. Um, just chip, chip, chipping away at the, its hull points. Um, and then the Flyrens circle around and get all the Wave Serpents eventually. And Molochs drop in on Fire Dragons and... Lictors charge the last wave serpent, Tyrant Guard kills the last fire dragons, and by turn six, I table him. Um, Flyrant takes the last whole point off the links, and then our game ends. So, it's a, uh, a well-played game by you. Um, do you feel like your army sort of mitigates the effect of the, the links a little bit? Um, yeah, I think by the army mitigates the links a lot because the most expensive thing is going to kill is a Moloch, which only 140 points. So it needs, I don't know how much it costs, it's probably like 500 or 600 points, right? At least. So in terms of getting its own points back, it, it'd have to kill all the all the Molochs and several Lictors just to get its points back. They can't hit the Flyrants at all because um, it's a blast unless I land. And, uh,. I think I have enough strength six, like that I can get to eventually. Cause it's only uh, maybe eleven, um, and that's what happened in our game. After everything else was done, the Florence just started to circle it. Whereas uh, other armies with other super heavies and knights and death stars, I think the links worries them a lot more because they've got yeah, it's just point and defense. delete exactly. Um, whereas with your your sort of MSU ish. Um, or small small point investment units anyway um, yeah and, and with the flyers as well 
Yeah, and, is he, and and every one of my units can hurt a lynx. Yeah, L lictors like it. The lictor, little the little lictor that could. <laughs> it, <laughs> it charged four times. It took four hull points off off the off the lynx. So, you know, that's a fifty point model that took four hull points off the lynx. Good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. Which um, gets you in to the final game the last game and as you said you've got to play Nick Rose again yep. uh, who managed to beat you was it round two round three round three yeah. round three okay it was on the first day at least um, yeah. <coughs> so what are your thoughts going into this because obviously you know who's beaten you once um, I'm presuming it's a different mission this time yeah we didn't know until right before the game what the mission was going to be we were rather worried that it, I was rather worried that it was just going to be Relic again because we had I don't know how they chose the mission for the final day, but we had basically done mission one, mission two, day uh, from day one already on the final day. So if mission three was going to be the same mission as day one again, it was going to be relic, and we were like, "That I hope not. That would just seem bunk." And uh, Reese came over. and was like, "No, no. We always do uh, crusade as our final mission," and so it was like four objectives. Um, and we, I was like, I was relieved. Nick was like, no, I want to do Relic again. <laughs> um, but yeah. So what are your thoughts going into this matchup now that you know you know what you're playing, you've got four objectives there, um, you've got the mobility, he's got good mobility as well, he's got a ton of obsec scouts, Yeah, lots, um, of, lots of small units that can score as well and can get anywhere on the table, but I presume they're not tremendously durable. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not was it also? What, sorry to interrupt there, Sean. I was just going to say, was it also weighing in your mind as well that you had also lost to this army? Yeah, my my biggest problem is the sense basically tabled the army, tabled my army when we played. They killed two Molochs one turn, two Flyrens the next turn. Like that's, I mean, obviously, I think the Flyrent thing is a little little lucky, but because mm -hmm. they were flying, but like still, it's the sense put up a lot of firepower. They ignore cover. Tyranids have no invul saves. Like, um, you know that 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 part was weighing on my mind, and so I think like the pregame rolling was very uh, important in our game, um, and also like reserve rolling. So I won the roll to go first, so I chose to go second, which was important. Um, and then he actually rolled the warlord trait to give me minus one reserves. And when he rolled it, he was like, oh, well, that stinks because now I can even keep my Molochs off longer until the Sense present themselves, which was also important to me. So he was, he was angry at the Warlord trait that he rolled. And then turn two, he, he had reroll reserves, but his Sense came in anyway. And so once that happened, that was a, that was a big deal. Because now they're since they don't have gate, they just have a drop pod. Now I know where they are, so I can just play around them until I'm ready to deal with them. So our game starts and he comes in. I have basically just four mines on the board and uh, one lictor. And he goes after the lictor with his command squad and bunkers up and starts scoring maelstroms. He'll win. He wins maelstrom by like an obscene amount. Uh, most of my army doesn't get on the board early enough to even come close to regaining the Maelstrom lead. And uh, 
Yeah, so turn two, he, he jumps sense up on top of a, a building so that they can't get Moloch. Because when you're on the second level of Ruin, you can't get hurt because Moloch's only hit the bottom floor. Okay. So he's got most of his army up on the second floors. Um, and in my turn two, I only get one Flyron in. I get no Molochs in. I get four Lictors and some Tyrant Guard. So the Tyrant Guard go hide in the corner. Uh, two Lictors pop up on an objective near some scouts. The Flyrant shoots those scouts, kills like four out of eight or something like that, three out of eight. Um, and then two other lictors go into his like bunker building where he's got devastators and a thunderfire cannon on the second floor, and they go in to the bottom floor where no one else can see them, and so his guys upstairs have to make the choice of either sitting there, and the lictors coming up for them next turn, or coming down, and he decides to come down and assault the lictors, um, and his librarian kills one, and his other devastators don't kill the other one so when I'm then on my turn three I get two Molochs in and precision out the Thunderfire Cannon precision out four devastators that are locked with a, with a Lictor um, because in America we can drop Molochs on combat whereas in Europe I guess you guys don't let that happen um, <laughs> So then that Lictor's now free, and him and another Lictor charge the Librarian and the other Devastators who get softened a little by a uh, Flyrin, um, and they kill everybody except like one Devastator so they're safe from shooting. And then my two Flyrins come in and start working on what's left of Lysander and his command squad, um, and he, they get him down to like one wound and just the Apothecary left. and. Now he's got all his scouts have come in on the, the other side of the board, but they've got like a long slog to get to the objectives. I've got mm, the furthest objective from his army pretty much locked with a, with a lictor sitting there uh, out of sight. And then I've invaded his home base where there's an objective. And then he's got sense and a bunch of scouts on the other objective. And then Lysander's probably going to die quickly to the two Flyrans if they keep shooting at him. And that's all that's on the other objective that I'll probably work myself towards eventually. And then his sense are out of range of everything up on the building that they're in. And so they have to finally make the decision turn four to either continue to sit there and not be able to shoot at any of the three objectives that I'm now achieving. So they have to start to come down to get shooting angles. So they come down from the building and they blow up a Moloch with ease because um, they have perfect timing. Oh, actually, they fail perfect timing, but they still blow it up. Okay. Uh, but my lictors finish off the Devastator, and they consolidate straight towards the sense. And so my one, my other Moloch that's still in reserve precisions down and kills two Centurions. Um, and then a Flyrant flies over and finishes the third one. So now, now I have no worries. There's no, no, none of his firepower hurts the Flyrants anymore. Um, so now I'm pretty much set for the game in my mind. It's clean up, move forward, make sure I get guys onto objectives. Um, and then he has some bad run rolls trying to get line breaker and trying to get objective secure scouts on like turn four or five, mm. trying to get towards my, my forward objective. So all I have to do, we're, we, we end up having like a little discussion right there being like, should we just even keep playing? Cause 
uh, I, I'm winning right now. There's you have Maelstrom, but I have primary. I've got you've got first blood, but I've got Warlord and line, line Breaker, and you don't you won't have Line Breaker. You're never gonna get Warlord. Um, and then he's like, well, we'll just play a little more. Just like if you can't destroy the drop pod or something, maybe I can get some points. Or if these scouts make it over there, and I was like, okay. So then the Flyers just do a little more sh shooting, and then the game is over. But once that early game stuff with the minus one reserves and the Moloch's not coming in until after the sense, I, I felt pretty confident on the game because the Flyers give me so much more mobility than he has. And that was it. And obviously use that to your advantage um, and in it out overall champion. Good stuff, yep. good stuff, good stuff. I mean, obviously there's a degree of luck and fortune in any 40k tournament victory. Absolutely, and obviously, as we've heard, going, you going through your games, there's a couple of pivotal moments that happened. Um, things could have possibly gone sour for you, and what have you. Um, but I mean, overall, it seems like you came with a, a good understanding of the missions. You played the missions, which is most importantly, you used the strengths and mitigated the weaknesses of your list as well, which is very important. Um, knowing the shortcomings of your own list and. You know, trying to avoid them as much as possible. Um, is there any moments that you really sort of had that you were really worried though in the tournament? You know, obviously when you lost to Nick in the in the third round, at the end of day one. Yeah, <coughs> I was worried then, um, because I knew then, like we didn't know for sure. Like I felt that someone lost, people would make it in, but you didn't know for sure like how they're going to do it or like if a bunch of people will tie because. Ties are worth more than losses, so if a bunch of people tied out, you know, you could get pushed down the stack. Um, so there was definitely a worry that I wouldn't make it, even after winning the, the, the next three games, day two. Just, like, sitting there waiting for, the, like, the announcement, hoping that you're going to make it in, you know. I mean, once once you were there for... Once you, once you got into the top eight and you were confirmed to be in finals day, I mean, uh, do you think that sort of relief allowed you to play with a bit more freedom perhaps on the last day you know yeah and then after the game the first first round day two um where he butchered the mission and i sneaked through uh i really felt that that was the hardest matchup i was going to see i mean i'd already played nick rose um I felt like I could play better than I had played, and if we weren't playing Relic, I felt like that that game was even. And if not, if some things went, if a couple rolls went my way, it could be not even. It could be in my advantage, but um, I didn't feel like anybody else would beat me. Like I felt, I felt confident. I felt like my mind was clear after that point. That like I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't let Nick down. I had, I had to win it all. Is that that confident in your? play skill or your list would you say or a bit uh, of both I guess both I mean I felt because like the waves the wave serpent links list I just I looked at it and I said there's no brush back there's no there's no there's no wraith knights there's so there's nothing there's nothing to worry about you know um, it's just firepower you go to ground and you deal with it um Yeah, and then once I could play around the Centurions uh, and just be... It, it was all about being patient, because a lot of times I will play a little fast and loose, 
Um, and those final two games, I feel like I played really just patient, just kept my head and just, I was like, just keep it clear. Don't even, don't even worry about it. Like, cause I was losing Maelstrom in both games rather than like selling out to try and get Maelstrom points back. I was just like, you know, just patience. Cause I think you have the primary, just keep it together and just make sure you don't snafu at the end of the game, you know. Uh, is there anything you'd change in the list, having played that? Or do you think it all sort of played exactly? Uh... Uh, I think it played exactly how I would want it to play. Um, I don't know what I would change. I don't know if I would change it at all or if I would just play something completely different, you know, if I wasn't going to play Tyranids. I think this is how I would play Tyranids currently. Anything that you got your eyes, uh, you know, anything you got your your, your view to, 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 to switch up with in the near future or are you, are you yeah I'm looking at Harlequins because I love okay. I love me some close combat Eldar you know <laughs> love it go on be the first man that can make uh, Howling Banshees work you'll be, yeah, you'll be celebrated that. in the uh, in the internet they'll be her- heralding you for years to come yeah but I'm looking at yeah, some, like, some Harlequin lists maybe like six Beastmaster units each one led by a Shadow Seer so they're all hit and running Beast Pack units like okay so- some some nonsense like that. I don't know. Mm. I think that would be funny. <laughs> well, best of luck with that. That means using psychic powers in your beast pack. Huh? You didn't used to like that, did you? From the yeah, uh, I, mean, I used psychic powers in sixth edition, and then I went no psychic powers in seventh for beast beast star. But uh, yeah, I think like six of those. You know, they're all hit and run. Maybe you roll the. You can only see me two d six times two inches on each one. You know, it'd be funny. Um, so what are your overall you know, impressions of the, of the event? Anything you feel that was like great, that you really enjoyed about it, firstly and foremostly, and then you know, anything that you would improve uh, you know, from a player's standpoint? Um, so, yeah, I like the event a lot. Um, the schedule was a little too packed for me. I mean, I, I appreciate that they let us sleep in so well, but uh, there was, they didn't even let food into the hall, so there was literally no time for lunch. There were days I didn't get to eat, so that sucked. Like, I woke up... Because that's what late. I was thinking. I was like, you know, you could at least, like, take away, like, take out and bring it to the table with you. But you Yeah, no, have... that would have been fine if they allowed that, but you couldn't eat in the room. So uh... if you wanted to play your game, you couldn't eat. It's just the way it is, because there's only 15 minutes between games. Um, so it was fine if you finished early, but it's tough to finish early sometimes. You know how it is. Um, that would be pretty much my only major complaint. The event was really well run. Uh, a little more transparency in how they're going to do pairings would have been nice, especially going to the top eight because I completely expected it to not play Sean, being that I was first seed and he was sixth seed. But then they, apparently they, they claimed to do random pairings, which is how that happened. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to come back. I won the Steven player, made top eight. Sean won. Sean's my friend, so that's cool. Here you go. <laughs> uh, what about you, Sean? Yeah, I would definitely return. Um, I think the whole event, like I, I'm almost like encouraged to want to try to do more West Coast events in general because of this whole ITC thing. The winner of the ITC this year got like a two thousand dollar check um, for winning the ITC. Like, and I assume next year might might even be more. Like, that's that's a pretty crazy prize um, for going to tournaments that you want to go to anyway. Um, so it's definitely something to like look into in terms of planning my schedule for the next year uh, to go to some of their events. Because not all of them are on the West Coast. I think they're doing like an event in Texas, and uh, some of their events are moving more eastbound. 
So that's and uh, Frankie and Reese, they run a great, uh, great ship. You know, they're nice guys. Um, if they improve the terrain, like I assume it'll only just get better from year to year. You know, you know to balance some of the tables with some more line of sight blockers and stuff like that. But yeah, I guess for that many players, terrain's always going to be a bit of a struggle, especially for some of this second building it up. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely looks like they've got a good thing going there. You know, the 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 success of the first one, you know, off the off just off the back of their reputation is obviously huge, and it's grown since then. Um, really desirable location. I know a, a lot of us guys in the UK are, are looking on hopefully going next year as well because it's you know it's just a cool place to go, and yeah. the fact that you get to play some of the best forty k players in the world is a bonus also. So, mm-hmm. one downside is next there, but. <laughs> hey, Vegas is a big enough place that you can uh, you can avoid whoever you need to avoid. It's cool. <laughs> uh, thanks very much for coming on the show, guys. Really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure having uh, top international uh, players pass through our humble podcast and uh, give us some much needed insight into their play. Um, yep. Thanks for having me, guys. I'll uh, I'll talk to you later. Definitely. Thank you very much. Appreciate you guys. Cheers. Lemmywings journeyed a distance far and fast To find his way out of a gay man's ass The road ahead is filled with danger and fright But push onward, Lemmywings, with all of your might The Sparrow Prince lies somewhere way up ahead Don't look back, Lemmywings, or you'll soon be dead Lemmy wings, lemmy wings, the time is growing late Slow down now and seal your fate Take the magic helmet torch to help you light the way There's still a lot of ground to cross inside the man so gay Ahead of you lies adventure, and your strength still lies within. Freedom from the ass of doom is the treasure you will win. Lemmy Winks has made it out, the tale is nearly through. That you're the gerbil king There's more adventures to go on Fly away to faraway lands And to the setting sun There's still so many enemies And battles yet to fight For Lemmy Wings The gerbil king To be told another night Lemmy, Lemmy, Lemmy Wings Lemmy, Lemmy Wings Lemmy Wings Lemmy Wings Lemmy Wings Lemmy Wings Lemmy Wings Gerbil King <laughs>